0: Good morning. There are many times as a preacher of the gospel that God has to give me an experience before teaching a specific text to really bring it to life. Sometimes those are really enjoyable and sometimes not so much. This last week I was making my family a lunch and we were having mussels or shellfish which I think I'm doing a pretty good job parenting if my kids like mussels and clams and oysters and all that fun stuff. So here I am, and instead of doing it inside, I'm doing it out on a grill. This is a grill that I wasn't familiar with, and this one had a back burner that put heat directly on the food. And so I didn't know it was there, and I had turned it up all the way. And so everything on there was hot because I was trying to bring it to a boil. So I, I go up to the grill just to toss everything around and the therm- thermometer, I noticed it was pretty high, but I mean, I've seen those not work before. So I opened it up and all of a sudden I got hit and punched in the face with this, what felt like a wall of heat. So I back up and then I'm like, oh, and as I rub my head, I, there's this little flakes that start coming onto my arms and I'm thinking dust is falling off but I'm just gonna make this a little awkward for all of us. See right there? That used to be a unibrow. I mean, not a unibrow, that used to be unibrow. That's all gone. My wife is kind of thankful that these thinned out just a little bit, but Widow's Peak, gone. My peach fuzz on my face also singed off, and it's, I smelt like burnt hair, and so, hit in the face, fu- uh, furnace-type heat. And what am I teaching on this week? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. This is a very common story for many of us. If you're raised in the church, you may have seen this on a felt board in Sunday school or seen it with the talking vegetables on your TV. But a common, very famous children's story taken from the Bible. And in it, there are some details that are often overlooked when telling it to children, that we're going to be pulling out of the scriptures today. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see that God's people in exile are called to faithfulness, regardless of the fruitfulness of our actions. So let's look at the story. Daniel chapter 3 uh, this comes right after Daniel has uh, been promoted and his friends have been promoted over the province of Babylon. That's a result of Daniel um, interpreting the king's dream and reminding, uh, telling the king that he was the head of gold. And now this takes place uh, what some people believe around 587 AD, which is the year that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon officially demolished Jerusalem. They burned the temple, the place of God's presence and worship in Jerusalem. And the remaining people in Jerusalem were exiled out, except the extremely, extremely poor. And so God's people had just been officially fully defeated by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue, this image or idol. Now imagine it being the Washington Monument covered in gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, this long skinny obelisk. And so what he does, he calls all of his officials, think of the president and the cabinet and the secretaries of states and governors and all of the political officials calls them together, and out of all the music that's played throughout all these instruments, he says in verse 7 that all the peoples, nations, and languages were to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I mean, this is a picture of all the world falling down to worship the king. And so, out of this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not fall down and worship. This is what God's people are commanded to do, is to not have an idol, to not worship a God before Yahweh, before the God of their, his people. And so there's some people that are probably a little bit jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go and they rat out the three friends that they're not falling and worshiping God. And so they kind of, these Chaldeans these opponents of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go to the king in verse 9. They start buttering him up a little bit. Oh, king, live forever. And tell on the three friends. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are pictures of what all kingdoms that are in opposition to God and his kingdom would be like. And in this, the response that Nebuchadnezzar has when the people do not place their full allegiance to him and his kingdom, is verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage. He's angry. He cannot handle the fact that there are subjects of him that choose to place their allegiance in another king in another kingdom than his own. So it gives these three friends another chance. And it says this in verse 15. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the lowercase g, God, who will deliver you out of my hands? The CSB says, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? This is a showdown of the gods and of the people of God. And so this is the pinnacle of the passage. This is what the author really wants to highlight is the response of the three friends to Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to what it says in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve you, your excuse me, your gods, or worship the golden image that you made. And what was Nebuchadnezzar's response? Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the image of his face, or the expression of his face changed. The picture of all the false gods and the false idols and the false kings of the world turn to anger when their allegiance, when people do not place their allegiance to him. But what's curious about this passage in verses 17 and 18 is how it's interpreted. There's multiple different translations that I encourage as you read through the Bible to read to really understand what's going on. And verse 17 highlights that there's a, it's not as a, an understood confidence that these three friends have. I mean, When you think of the story, you think of these three friends standing tall, broad shoulders in the face of a king and boldly proclaiming that their God could, but they're not sure if he would. But there's enough in the text that that may be questionable. This is what the CSB and how it translated, along with the NRSV or the New Revised Standard Version, says in this. It says in verse 17, If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire. But if our God exists, the other passage is if our God is able to, While we like to think that the the heroes of the Bible have this amazing confidence and lacking doubt, in this passage, in this moment, these exiles, these people of God may not be as confident as we think they are. Not only are they doubtful potentially that God would save them, but they're even doubtful of if God could save them. Now, doubt is one of those things that in the human experience is actually, I believe, a, a normal stage of life. Now, while we want them, to, these guys to be heroes standing tall, I think the author gives us an honest picture of where they are at that moment. Think about it. They were teens that were exiled. Their God had been defeated. Yes, they have been experienced God's faithfulness to them. But in this moment, their lives are on the line and they're doubtful. And when we think of doubt, we tend to think of it as an intellectual thing. But I'm coming to discover that doubt isn't as much as an intellectual as it is an emotional and story-formed source. Many times when we hear people are doubting or they're questioning God, we automatically go to the intellectual side of it. Here's the 10 reasons why God exists. Now, don't get me wrong here. Apologetics and intellectual understanding of God is absolutely essential. Okay, God tells us to love us with all of, his, all of our minds, So there is absolutely a place for intellectual debates and conversations, okay? So don't hear me. Hear me. That's really important. But many times, what people present as intellectual doubts often are found and sourced from an emotional place, somewhere along the lines they may have prayed to God and He not showed up, didn't show up in the way that he, they wanted him to. Maybe they've been wounded by fellow Christians or other people that are supposed to represent God. They and so while they present doubt intellectually, what's actually taking place is a, a sadness or a wound that's fueling that intellectual doubt. So for us as God's people, even in the midst of other people's doubts, how will we be faithful in that moment? And many times, I believe that we are called not only to present intellectual things, but first to be a people who are present with those in their doubt, to listen to be curious, to see what the Spirit is doing and why this is showing up so that they can be drawn to the person of Jesus. Parents, our children will come to a point where they have to make their faith their own, which will present in ways as doubt. So for us as God's people, rather than be anxious and have to fix the problem, if we can be people of Presence of peace to allow people to wrestle, allow people to have their story brought to light and so that we can be a conduit of the peace and patience and kindness of our God. Yes, it may be a point where we argue and debate, but it comes from a pa- place of peace. We can be faithful to be there for them, to, quote, hold the space for their doubt, hold the space for their wrestling, not try to fix it or solve it immediately, but to be a person who is used by God himself to bring his presence into their lives. But notice in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their doubt of whether God could or would didn't stop them from being faithful. Even in the midst of their doubt, they were faithful to what God had commanded them. Verse 18: But if not, if God did not deliver them, make it uh, be known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods and kings. They were faithful regardless of the fruits of their lives. They were faithful to God even to the point of putting their lives on the line and throwing them, being thrown in the fiery furnace. Now, maybe God would save them. Maybe God can't, could save them in their minds. But it didn't matter what the fruits of their faithfulness would be. They chose to be faithful to God. Many times we have a transactional relationship. This is the way of the world. Now, and what do I mean by that is we give in order to receive, we pay in order to receive a product. Now this ha- can happen relationally in your, um, in your household or in your missional community where you're giving something in order to receive something back. Now that's not pure faithfulness. Sometimes it happens in our, the political world that we're in. I mean, it's election week. Let's think about this. Sometimes we give, sometimes we vote, sometimes we um, support so that we would receive a response. And that sometimes requires, if we think this way, to support things that will challenge our faithfulness and our integrity and our character because we want to receive something in return. It's transactional. But what the Scriptures call us to is faithfulness regardless of fruitfulness. I mean, this is something the Lord's working deeply in me. I love fruitfulness. I love to move the ball forward and see things happen that for saturation to happen. But I've had to come face to face recently with the reality that sometimes I'm faithful just so that I could experience fruitfulness. Rather than be faithful to get God for God's sake, sometimes I buy into the vending machine approach to God. I give, I serve, I love, I do all these things, and God, I expect to, for you to make it fruitful. I expect you to give back what I've given. And I've had to repent and say, God, it's not about fruitfulness. You're calling me to be faithful. And this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get. They knew that their lives were on the line. And they had the fruit of their lives open-handed before God. God, do what you want. But I'm going to allow you to handle the results and the fruit of my life. And I'm just going to be faithful and do what you've asked me. To do so even in their doubt even in their if they're not certain of whether their faithfulness is going to result in the fruits that they're wanting they are still doing what God asks them to and as a result they get Jesus in this story, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar's blown away. They're bound when they're thrown in, and all of a sudden, he sees that there's not just three people in there, but he sees a fourth person, and it says, he says that they are, this fourth one looks like the sons of gods in verse 25. And we, I believe that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus, that the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit have always existed fully, God fully unified as one. Now when Jesus was born, he was he added to his divinity humanity, which we will celebrate in Advent in a few weeks. But it's the reality that Jesus has always been interacting with humanity. And this, I believe, in light of what the Scripture teaches about Jesus as fully God and fully man, that this was Him, fully God, showing up in this story. And the amazing, beautiful part about this is God is faithful to them in their faithfulness. He does bear fruits with them in their Story. I mean, I love that there's a little detail that the only thing burned, it's not their hair, it's not their robes, but the only thing that was burned in the fire were the shackles that bound them when they were thrown in. Only thing that was burned was what Nebuchadnezzar put on them, not what God had for them. Now this is true of them, but it's not always the case. We are faithful, but that doesn't mean that we are fruitful in the ways that we want. But the ultimate place of fruit is that we get Jesus. This is how um, Paul says it in Philippians 1, and I'll just say verse 21. For me, Paul says, this is him in jail, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's what John Piper calls a win-win situation. If they, we live, we get Christ. We get to be faithful to Christ. And by God's grace, he'll be fruitful through our lives. But even if we die, we gain because we get to be in the presence of Jesus. So faithfulness does not is not determined by the fruit of our lives. Think of all the people who have been faithful to God throughout history and even presently. That have been faithful to the point of death. You see this in the scriptures with the first martyr of Stephen. And you see this historically and even presently in our day. People are faithful to not bow down and worship other gods. To be saying that Jesus is their hero. Jesus is the one that is God that saves them. And as a result, they are killed for that. But it's still a win because they get Jesus. If fruitfulness is anything other than being faithful to Jesus and being in his presence, we will be tempted to be transactional. But if the fruitfulness of our lives is that we get Jesus, then regardless of whether we get fruit on this life or whether our lives are lost, we still win. God's people in exile are to be faithful regardless of our fruitfulness. So what other that means of how that empowers how you vote this week. It may be about how you do your job. You may have opportunities to cut corners and challenge your integrity in order to get uh, the results that you want. It may be that how you engage your neighbor or tell the and share Jesus with the lost. Your job and my job is to be faithful to God, to open-handedly offer our lives so that He can determine its fruits and that we can be faithful to the Spirit's leading, that we can trust God with the fruits of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are present with us in our doubts. You are present with us in other people that as we wrestle with if you could or would show up in how we desire, you are the goodness and you are the fruit that we ultimately deeply long for. So Father, I pray that even in our doubts that you empower us to be faithful and we are open-handed that we just do what you've called us to, what you've empowered your spirit to do and that we open-handedly give you the fruits of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.